Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 259. Would you like some cheese to go with that? Recorded November 13th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. That's it right here. This show, The Geek Rant, um, doesn't happen anywhere else on the internet. I am your host, Mark, sometimes called the Sultan of the Soapbox. And uh, joining me this week is our full panoply of guests, hosts, stuff. One more time, that would be uh, Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson and Miles the Master of the Coin. Still don't like that. Wake him. Hey, gentlemen. Howdy, and it's great to be back. Yo. We're here. We are here. Um, so, uh, Cowboys are now eight and one. In case you were wondering, it's Sunday Sunday afternoon football. We had to wait uh, till the show was over, so we're starting a little late. But those of you listening don't care. But I'm going to gloat eight and one. Go Cowboys! Woohoo! Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to say, sometime back, like April, maybe we said, "Hey, we're going to do a Network November theme month." And every show is going to be about networking. And this is the third show in November. And I just remembered. Sorry about that. So maybe maybe Network December. It's, it's not as good. Um, but maybe we'll do that. Um, but we, we do have some expertise among us. I mean, definitely Miles is, is freaking engineer. And I've, I've been hacking at these machines for a while. I'm certainly not uh, actually qualified to do anything. I just have made every mistake possible. Therefore, I'm an expert. And uh, Seth, uh, you know, likes to talk. So um, <laughs> we should have some stuff. Uh, so, Hey, uh, I've held IT positions. That's true. I'm, I'm going to pencil that in for December. Uh, hopefully, I will remember about that. Uh, so that's that's the only... We should still call it networking November. <laughs> yes. In December. Well, if you we can have Christmas no in July. Back into November. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, there, there was an election this week, you may have heard, um, and we'll be talking about that, uh, as the, as the, the show goes on. In fact, that's, that's probably what the show is going to be about the election. So we're not going to, uh, say anything in the, uh, the opener about it, but I do, I do want to say that I attempted to see, um, Dr. Strange and I can tell you for the first five minutes or so, it's pretty impressive until the projector broke in the theater and they said, get out. Um, <laughs> So it, this was it was one of those uh, dine-in movie theaters, um, uh, movie movie tavern uh, there in in Sandy Plains, Georgia. Uh, they did everything right. Not only did they refund our money, but they also gave us free passes uh, for a future show. But not only did was it you know it was twelve or thirteen dollars a ticket, and the theater probably sat eight hundred people. So not only did they lose that ten thousand dollars, but all those eight hundred people had ordered thirty or forty dollars worth of food that the kitchen was in the process of cooking and we all walked out. Um, so they lost that too. So that was an expensive goof on their part. Um, I wonder if they have like insurance that covers that. You think? Or if they, or I mean, well, I don't know, you know, cause you know, they have insurance because I mean, they're a business. They have, they carry insurance. Does it cover situations like that? It's possible, and of course, the the thirty dollars worth of food that we we were going to pay for would probably cost them six dollars. You know, uh, so they didn't lose that much, and and it was it was not so much lost uh, revenue as lost potential income, right? So they didn't actually cost them anything to fill that theater. It didn't actually cost them anything, so it was just lost in potential, uh, except for the well, food they had to throw away. 
Right. And, you know, and all those people. Yeah. And they, the money they didn't make to hire, to pay for the employees who were there not doing their job. So you can't let them go because it might be ready for the next showing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, we, they delayed the show. They, we were supposed to start at like seven fifteen, and seven thirty. we were all still sitting out the lobby and they said, there's a problem with the projector we're working on. And it's like, all right, everybody come on in folks. And I should have known things weren't going to go well when the first preview blacked out. Audio kept going, but the the video blacked out. Um, but they kept taking our orders and and kept going with things. And 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 then the second preview, of the theater. So I, they showed I think four previews. We didn't see all of one of them. Uh, hmm. So that was that was kind of you know telling you where the, where it was. And if you've seen the movie, and if you haven't, uh, I can't spoil it because I've only seen six minutes of it or so. Um, it starts with a big kung fu surrealistic battle scene that I saw the first half of three times. Uh, because it would black out and they'd back it up and we'd see like 90 seconds leading up to it and then the first half of the battle and then it would black out and i heard it i heard several minutes of it and then it would back uh, black out and they'd back up so um from what i can tell darn good movie uh at least the opening of it uh, i will say i saw it in 3d now typically uh when i do 3d uh i, I, I well first off i don't typically do 3d i don't like 3d in general um, but I try to sit in the middle of the screen, uh, in the, yeah, in the middle of the screen, because I recognize that 3D is is uh, affected more than than uh, regular 2D by being off axis. Uh, but in this case, I found it just the b- few brief minutes of it I watched to be uh, headache inducing and probably nausea inducing had I stayed. So I'm kind of glad actually it didn't work out. Well, you know, that could have been, though, having to do with the projector difficulties as much as the regular. I don't, uh, I don't think so, because the, the thing is, good 3D, and this is, you know, TM Mark Cockrell good 3D, um, is where very little happens on the front of the screen, where the, everything happens in the back of the screen. So you, you use 3D to add depth. Uh, but this, they were, it was obviously a rotoscoped and not shot in 3D. So, so a 3D rig is pretty rare you have two cameras set at uh uh, you know a distance apart and you shoot everything on two cameras and you get a true realistic 3d um that's expensive and it's pretty rare instead what they do is called rotoscoping where they go in with digital artists and they literally edit every cell of frame and they touch it on a computer and they separate this and they and they, they do that and i can always tell a rotoscoped because they way overdo it uh, I, I've complained, I know, on this show, um, uh, Captain America, the very first one, uh, one of the first big 3D things is this big car comes up to you, and the grill, uh, the, the bumper, is like 16 inches farther out than the grill. Uh, that's obviously an overdone 3D effect. Um, and it was like, the, it was cases like this. So there's this guy standing in front of this uh, bookshelf, we'll call it. It really wasn't even a bookshelf, but um, so you could see through it. It was like a... Like a um, a Chinese uh, rice paper window kind of thing, but without the rice paper. It was just a frame, and he's standing in front of it. And the actor is probably six inches maybe behind it, the shoulder, like the width of his shoulder. It's probably right there. But they rotoscoped it to the point where it was sitting right in front of my face, and he was 15 feet back from it. And and there were several things just in the you know the three minutes I saw where they had just way overdone the 3D. Um, and that, to me, uh, just not only is it not realistic, but it causes me physical pain to watch a movie like that now you saw it in 3d seth do do, do you concur that that continued throughout the movie i mean i didn't really notice that okay so um but you know there's this movie 
you know, in the mirror dimension, which, you know, that's just all I'll say for spoilers. Spoiler, there's a mirror dimension. Oh, I've ruined the film. Um, the way they do the effects of that, it's really, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I saw it in 3D because it's basically you're watching a, the world turn into a kaleidoscope. If you've ever held the kaleidoscope up and turned it and you know how it does all the, that's, and that was really, that was really cool seeing it in 3D. So, you know, I mean, I've never really noticed the 3D good or bad, but I think, um, being like in, um, uh, the last Mar or the Martian, the 3D shots of the this the landscape they were driving over were breathtakingly awesome. Uh, but I just thought that scene, those scenes involving the mirror dimension, were really cool watching them in 3D. So and and I I fully admit that I may be super sensitive to it. I I grew up with a severe astigmatism, um, which is a warping. There are three ways that your eye can be warped: the the cornea, the lens or the actual surface uh, of the eye itself. I mean, the retina, the cornea, the cornea is the uh, surface. Cornea, lens, or retina. In my case, they were all three twisted and warped. Um, and while laser surgery restored my sight, it doesn't actually fix the defect. So it just reshaped the lens to make up for the defect. So maybe I'm super sensitive to it because my retina is shaped like uh, a double helix. Um, and that could be entirely what it is. I'm still like uh, super sensitive to light. As a result of it, I can't be outside without sunglasses. It, it hurts um, to be in bright light as a result of the, the way light focuses on my retina. So could be that I'm just super sensitive to it. But my wife, who is not, you know, a, a mutant, um, also said that she found it to be pretty distracting just for the few minutes that we saw it. So it could have been where we were, could have been the fact that the, the projector wasn't working as well as it could, or it could just be that um, it's not great um, 3D. Is there a 2D option on that movie? Most movies have a 2D. Yes, there was. Just the time slot that it was available. And because I had been told, you really need to see this in 3D. So, I did. So I'm like you, though. I'll go with the 2D option if I get the choice. I mean, my eyes are kind of weird. I've got like a lazy eye. And so, as a kid, I had to wear these weird glasses to try to balance them out. Um, but I'm, I'm like you. I'm sensitive to light, too. And I and I've you remember those Google glasses they came out with a few years back? I, I heard about um, them. Yeah, I tried one once. Freaked me out because you know the vision comes in on one eye, and the whole thing just messed up with my head. So I thought that's not going to work for me. I just hope this doesn't take off. And ah, I got my wish. <laughs> but <laughs> but with three um, D movies, I'm the same. I go into those things, and it's like. Uh, I'm feeling nauseous. Uh, give me a bag. Um, yeah, I'll take two D any day, especially if you're eating. Yeah. Um. So anyway, did you guys see any anything the media wise that you want to talk about before we get into it? Uh, no. no. Right. So I can remember. I was I was on Netflix and they popped up a uh, a trailer. For Kevin James' True Memoir, Memoirs of an International Assassin, um, it's a Netflix original, uh, and my wife and I turned it on yesterday afternoon just you know, because it was a Saturday afternoon and we weren't really paying attention to it. I'm not going to say it was a good movie, but I, I really enjoyed it. At the end of it, uh, I was glad I had watched it. So there's my review. Uh, basically, Kevin James is a, a, an author, a writer, like a, a guy stuck in a dead-end office job who writes at night. 
Um, and he writes the story of his alter ego, who is an international assassin. And through a, a quirk of publishing, he is uh, thought uh, the, the book is released as uh, nonfiction, and people think he really is an international assassin, and he gets sucked into this uh, Colombian drug ring thing where people want to hire him as an assassin. So it's Kevin James being, you know, the fat guy doing Kung Fu. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's farcical and, and, uh, a lot of, you know, physical pratfall comedy, but also, uh, it was heartwarming and, and worth watching. So there you go. I started cool. watching, um, man in the high castle. Have you seen that? I didn't get past episode three. It just didn't hook my interest. Yeah, the story's strong, but you're right. It's I'm about episode two or something, and I'm thinking this is sort of starting. It was it's you know ripening and now it's rotting. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how long I'll stay with it, but it's an interesting premise. I'm about halfway through Luke Cage, and I still don't know that I care. I you know I don't dislike it. I I'm not you know slogging through it, but uh, eh, I don't care. So sorry, Marvel. You let me down on this one, or maybe I'm just not going with you. I don't know. The, everything is super predictable at this point. Uh, and one of the things I liked most about, uh, like, Daredevil, season one, less so season two, um, and, you know, uh, Jessica Jones, is you're never really sure who's good and who's bad until right at the very end. And then even the bad guy, you you kind of sympathize with him, right? He's, uh, like, Kingpin, is doing evil things, but they let you get in his head in such a way that you're like, okay, that makes sense. I can see why he would do that. So there are lots of ambiguous characters. Uh, Luke Cage, there's the the gleaming uh, guy on a white stallion and the evil sorcerer with the smoke coming out of his nostrils, and there's no nuance anywhere in between. So it's a little boring for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm Okay. <laughs> no no rebuttal to that i mean i know you enjoyed it more than i did apparently yeah i did enjoy it you know i i don't know i i have a much lower threshold i guess of entertainment value yeah i get that. um I, I have different tastes but you know but i mean i enjoyed it it kept me in there but then again i really enjoyed the power man iron fist comics of the, the uh, heroes for hire right of the 70s when they came out so you know for me it, it was as much remembering my childhood whereas you know I, I guess if you weren't if you didn't if you weren't already interested in luke cage i can see where this series wouldn't necessarily hook you um and again the defenders was another and of course this membership is a lot different than whenever the comic that i liked um you know, but, um, again, I love the defenders and same thing with Dr. Strange. I, I really loved Dr. Strange. And of course, you know, they have to kind of compress the origin stories, but, um, so I've, you know, other than agents of shield, which has been a Ooh. complete and utter waste of Marvel resources. Um, I've pretty much enjoyed most everything that the, the Marvel universe has done. I'm only watching agents of shield now out of a sense of duty. You know, you gave me two really good seasons, so I'm going to sit with you through the end. But uh, that's yeah. really all it is. It was two really good seasons. Well, it was it was half of a really good season one, a really good season two, and then half of a, a really good season three. So it was two seasons spread over three seasons, and then it just yeah, fell okay. apart. Yeah, it, it it wasn't that for me. So I... <laughs> you you didn't even like that much of it, huh? I you know I mean. 
I didn't make it all the way through season one, so maybe it got better kind of towards the end. But I on and off season one and two, and I just like, eh, I don't, uh, I don't care. The, the you know, tie in with Winter Soldier was really brilliant. Uh, and that season, that second season was really strong. So yeah, go back on Netflix. And if you, once you get past about halfway through season one, where it was just the boring monster of the week thing, the, the story arcs were really strong there for a while and then just really? not. So uh, you, you owe it to yourself to go check it out. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I guess with, I, with the it, understanding, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> you owe it to yourself to be disappointed right. in life. There's a, yeah, but with Luke Cage, I have no emotional investment. I don't know anything about the guy. Uh, and same with Doctor Strange. So Marvel can't ruin Doctor Strange for me because I don't know anything about him. Uh, but I would pay six bucks to watch Benedict Cumberbatch read the phone book. Um, he's just a very mesmerizing actor. He is, he is really good. and I mean, he did a great job. So he uh, anyway, he, good. I mean, like I say, Marvel movies so far, you know, Iron Man two was the next to the worst one and iron man well and iron man three in age of and brief appearance of ultron <laughs> those two kind of uh those three make up the bottom three i think i think i think three was worse than two by a lot oh within, definitely yeah. so yeah okay well those two yeah. iron man three and brief appearance of ultron uh <laughs> make up the uh the bottom two you, you can pick there and i won't argue either way all right um but, uh, do you want to give any comments on last week seth you know, I, my computer has a problem and I, I, it happens so rarely that I forget it, but if I, you know how you can press and hold the power button and for eight to 10 seconds and then it'll kick out, it'll shut your computer off. Well, mine does something that marks the hard drive unreadable and it's really weird. I can take the hard drive and put it in another computer. It works. I can put a different hard drive in this computer and it works. And the only way I have ever been able to fix it is I put in a different hard drive, boot up SpinWrite, and then before SpinWrites and let SpinWrite detect the drives, then swap out the hard drive and then let SpinWrite run on this drive. And when it finishes, I can reboot the machine and it works fine. That's the only fix I have found. I've updated to the most recent BIOS. Um, so it's just something weird. And I, when I was setting up yesterday or last week, I had, um, I had turned my computer on before I hooked up the external monitor. And sometimes that does weird things with my Firefox. So I thought, oh, I'll just turn it off and then plug the cable and turn it back on. Well, I turned it off and I had, you know, I took everything out of my, uh, backpack when I was traveling because I didn't want to be caught as a terrorist and I haven't put any of my gear in my car since I've had it so I'm running around the church looking for a small screwdriver and all I can find are like the big Phillips three bits that won't fit that physically won't fit the screws and so I can't get into my laptop to do any work and then um, anyway by the time I got home and got into it it was just it was too late. I already missed the show. So I'm sorry, everyone. I will try to remember not to do that, but that's, that's my standard thing is to, you know, abort the start, the startup by holding down the power button, but you can't do that on this model of Acer. All right. Well, we forgive you. Miles and I struggled along, but, uh, Seth, I was texting with Seth, like, you know, how's it going? And finally he gave me the Seth version of a middle finger. Don't talk to me again. Um, it was, which is of course very polite and, and clean, but it was like, 
I'm 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 gone. I'm I'm walking away. Don't talk to me anymore. Okay. I, see you, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was you know this is this is the highlight of my week. I really enjoy doing this show, and to be to be suckered out of it for that, I was just like, oh man. So anyway, right. but I'm back now. All right. So that's so all we it have. Sounds like it's working well for you now, though. I mean, it doesn't sound like you got a problem there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it does it. And have you tried cloning the data to another drive? I haven't yet, but I'm. I, <laughs> let's be real. I'm not <laughs> going to do that <laughs> because that would be work, and it's working now. So <laughs> I only ever think about that really whenever it breaks down. Nah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I I made a new batch of my crazy super hard coffee today, and one of my. Uh, buckets that i use for straining has a crack in it and every time i make coffee i say i need to fix this i mean a little piece of silicon will fix that and it won't be leaking coffee and i have to want to put another bucket under it to catch it and then i think well i just washed it it's it's dry i need to make sure it's dry really good before i can silicon it so let me give it till tomorrow and then three months later when i make another batch of coffee i say i need to really fix that piece of that crack there Uh, just a bit of silicon will do it but well it's wet now i'll need to wait for it to dry and then three months later. So I, I feel your pain. I understand. Ah, fun times. <laughs> that's uh, I, that's not quite procrastination. It's, it's uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but. Well, you know, you get into tech being the tech because you're lazy and you want to figure the fastest way to do something. Well, and that. the fastest way to do something is it's working right now. Don't mess with it. <laughs> Perfection is the enemy of good enough. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we have one mini rant. Uh, Miles and I were, uh, uh, Miles, you, Seth, did you listen to the show last week? Yes, I did. So I know you were proud of Miles in his ripping of <laughs> Apple and all things Steve Jobs. Yes, um, you did good, Miles. <laughs> so Yay. one of our Tell listeners, uh, in, in response to that, Scott, he asked us if, we, if we've ever heard of System 76. He said, have you guys heard of a System 76 in Denver? I recently bought a 15-inch Gazelle laptop for under $1,400. Prices start at 700 I added some upgrades. The quality of which I think is every bit as good as a Mac. I have an old 2009 Mac Mini and a 2000-something MacBook, both running a version of Linux, both purchased used for an affordable price on eBay. Uh, came with a System76's version of Ubuntu, which I may replace with a different distro. I just heard Miles say, Vi is transportable knowledge, in the same way that gonorrhea is trans- transportable. Right on, Miles. You deserve that raise. And then uh, regarding the CAPTCHA in Swedish, gloves is literally hand shoes. So one of the questions in my world's hardest CAPTCHA is what article of clothing do you wear on hands? Um, so that's what he's responding to. Uh, I have heard of System76. We've talked about System76. I tried to get them to come on this show when we were pretending to be a Linux show um, and never got any response. Um, I... And maybe the reason I never got a response is because I have uh, talked about them before. Um, I think they're way overpriced for what you get. It's the Linux tax um, because they're selling, you know, think of them as a small batch artisanal computer shop because they're not buying things in the millions um, and because they're making sure all of their components are completely open source compliant. You don't need any binary drivers or anything. Uh, you pay uh, a fortune for it. So yeah, the prices start at $700 for a $300 a laptop. And for $1,400, you get a $600 laptop um, in terms of components you could buy elsewhere. I'm not saying the quality is poor. I'm just saying you could get those same components with windows on it and wipe windows off uh, for uh, half the price. So I've never bought any of their stuff because I'm not willing to pay the Linux tax. 
Yeah, I um uh, I don't I think they're think there was a little bit of hyperbole on the price. I do totally agree they are overpriced, but I don't think they're quite that overpriced. But yeah, I I no, love I mean, that the they're one out I, there. The one I wanted to buy was going to be like $1,600. Once I spec'd it out for everything I wanted, it was going to be $1,600 for uh, a machine that I could get from Dell for, for $900. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not exa- I, I know I am prone to exaggerate. In this case, I'm really not. Yeah. I wish them well. I wish more people would go the Linux route just so the price would come down and you would get more stock offerings out there the more people if more people would buy linux then they would offer more linux so more people would buy it exactly i recognize i'm part of the problem by not buying right if i bought prices would go down not me personally but if more people like me bought prices would go down but as long as people are price conscious and people who like linux and open source stuff tend to, to do so because they are price conscious people let's let's be honest nobody cares about the open they care about the cost free um, and you know, Stallman cares about open, but he's the only one. Um, right. So I, I, I admit I'm being part of the problem, but, yeah, but we, we Linux folk, uh, we break warranties. That's our job. <laughs> so if you buy something at a very, very expensive price and you are expecting to get it, you know, where you never have to get a screwdriver and open the case, you never have to hack the operating system or do anything like that. It's kind of not the Linux experience for the Linux engineer. And that's not to say that we won't morph into something our grandmothers would, you know, use. But I don't know. For me, Linux on the desktop kind of didn't go there because we're a whole bunch of people who like to break warranties. Fair enough. So, yes, Scott, we have heard of System 76. And I don't. I want to be very careful in saying this. I'm not insulting System 76. I recognize that the they are not the cause of the problems right they they have to make money otherwise they're not a business um they're a hobby and if they have to make money they have to charge more than everybody else for commodity stuff because they're not selling you know in the the hundreds and 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 millions uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of of unit uh, uh range so it's not your fault system 76 i believe your products are quality I just don't want to pay for them. It's the same reason that you don't buy, people don't buy computers made in America. You know, they might be designed here and some of the components might be made here, but they're made overseas and shipped here because it's so much cheaper to make them overseas. If you're going to find one made by people earning American wages, it's going to cost more and you're not going to pay $600 when you can get the same spec computer, if not better spec computer for $400 that, you know, so that's why, that's why they cost more is there. The volume isn't there to drive the prices down. And that's why system 76 has to charge more because the volume isn't there to keep their prices low. I mean, I'm sure their margins are probably, you know, comparable to, and they might even be a little less than major, major computer sellers. Yeah. We, we, the American consumer have an unex- unrealistic expectation of price. We we want really high end stuff for free, um, and you know China and India uh, and and uh, Korea and Pakistan they've made that possible by outsourcing uh, you know our manufacturing to let's face it slaves uh, in other countries. Um, they've been able to provide us high quality stuff for no money, uh, and so because they were able to do it, 
we feel entitled to it. And so forever, we will feel entitled to high quality stuff at no cost. So we're, we're part of the problem. And since I use the word entitlement, now it's time to talk about this, uh, the, the election and the response to it. Um, I have never seen uh, a, a greater display of petty entitlement in my entire life than I've seen this week. Um, I will simply leave my comments there for now and ask you, Seth, what are your thoughts? And then I'll interrupt you as you speak, of course. <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing is I want to say that this, the people who elected um, Donald Trump president are the exact same people who elected Barack Obama president twice before them. And I'm talking about the 40% plus of eligible voters who did not vote. Clinton won, uh, by the last count I saw, Clinton was ahead on the popular vote, basically 45.5 to 45.4% over Donald Trump. And you figure there was less than 60% of the eligible population who voted, which means roughly, and this is only rounding down slightly, one in four eligible voters voted for Clinton and one in 3.9 or one in 4.1 voters el- voted for Donald Trump. And let me add over- to that really quickly. Uh, that 60% number is record high. Right. So no, no, it 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 was it was it was actually down a little bit. Not, and not one a, of the things, well, I know in Georgia and in in Florida and 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 this these what these places that became swing states that aren't normally swing states, uh, we we were posting record high voter turnout, and it was still, you know, less than half the people who were eligible eligible to vote voted, and they were breaking records left and right. Well, nationally, it was down. Um, and and here's here's the thing, you know, everybody talks about how, you know, it was all the white racists who voted for Trump. Trump actually got more black and more Hispanic votes than Romney got, which means he got less white people's vote than Romney got. So, you know, the the um the story being perpetrated by most of the media is simply one to fit the narrative they want to give and bears only a passing resemblance to the facts. But let's face it, people's complacency in not their right to vote, but their duty has a citizen in a republic to be involved in the governance of themselves is what I mean. We're not going to get the best candidates because it only takes one in four people voting for them. I mean, I don't really care about all the whiny people who didn't take the time to be informed before they voted. You know, our government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. You say, we say, well, it's the special interests who do it. Well, right, because they're the only ones who show up and vote. If the regular people would show up and vote if there were 80 or 90 percent of the country was going to vote then there would it would take a higher class person to win that's that's my first rant on the subject and i have many more we'll probably get into but those were the opening remarks i wanted to make all right so miles as a foreign national who chose to go through the considerable time and effort and probably expense to become a naturalized citizen of this country i'm interested to hear what you have to say about this uh, well, it's not my first voting election, right. but um, it's um, hmm, wow. I you know okay. So there's my personal reaction to the whole thing was that after Tuesday night, where we're all watching the election on TV, I just realised that this really had nothing to do with an election. This was a TV show, 
and they wanted all the forms of drama. They wanted all of the twists and turns of any, you know, high-rated TV show uh, because, you know, that's how you make money. You sell commercial space and so on. And certainly the biggest acquirers of commercials were the, uh, the voting, uh, uh, you know, special interests in the, in the super PACs who were paying bazillions for buying airtime. But having said all that, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to what the effect that, you know, television media has on the people. Is it enough to get them out there to vote? Is it enough to get them to to have a sense of the totality, the, the complete package of what Party A is offering and Party B is offering? I don't think it did. I think that right now what we have was a situation where 320 million people who had the option to watch TV didn't get a story that resonated properly. You know, like they, you, you had one party that just wanted to blast the other one, negative, 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 but never actually said what they intended to actually do in, in a form that you could accept or you could then go, yeah, I think that would work for my case or no, that wouldn't work for me, but that would. I mean, you know, look, this was a sporting event on television. This wasn't an election. Um, if it was an election, I would have said, okay, for my needs, my demographic needs, my financial needs, my family security needs, my, my beliefs, I will rate party A with this policy, this policy, this policy, this policy, and come up with a score, and I'll rate party B with this policy and so on and come up with a score, and high score wins. That wasn't what we had. We had a football game. We had two teams, Team A and Team B, playing off and a media that wanted to make a bazillion dollars selling advertising space between the plays. And that's the problem. We didn't get a real election here. We had a TV show and a whole bunch of people voted because they liked that guy over that person because, oh, just so happened we saw that guy in a TV show before him, so we'll, we'll go with him because we know him. That, that's kind of how it appeared to me. Yeah, and, and I, I want to go on record again as saying i'm not for either of these people i'm not a trump guy i'm not a a, a clinton guy um i'm not a uh, a gary johnson guy I, I i was really a none of the above guy in this election um i have been a lifelong republican but i i said earlier this year in much the same way that ronald reagan said the democratic party has left me um the republican party has left me i i no longer identify as republican because of the clown that they elected um, to to represent them, um, and not just that, but the the complete reversals of form that they were willing to go through to support the clown that had been selected. So once once the clown was was put on the podium, um, the people completely reversed things they had said in the past. Positions were reversed, um, you know, and and it just it was enough to say that's it. I'm I can't have an R beside my name anymore. I, I don't want any part of this. Uh, so I, I get to look back here as a completely detached third party. My guy got 4% uh, of the Georgia vote, and I think like 2% nationwide. Um, and Gary Johnson certainly wasn't my guy, uh, but I was actually voting for a third party in the sense that I hope in 2020, a third party can be considered a realistic option once we're done with the two clowns uh, in this circus. Um so uh, watching this, uh, watching it leading up to it, Hillary Clinton never told anybody why they should vote for her, at least not that I saw. There was never a message that said, 
I should be uh, president because A, B, and C. It was, it was just, it, be- it ended with, I should be president. And you should know why. Um, and, of course, the fact that she was a woman played into it. I, I'm going to be the first female president. Uh, Trump actually did really well among women. Split the vote. Um, not quite the, the 49.5, 49.4, but it was, it was like 60-40. Uh, uh, 60% Clinton, 40% uh, um, uh, Trump. And, you know, among minorities, you know, Trump was painted as a racist, but he got a huge uh, minority turnout. So it, it was it was a narrative, as you said, Miles, presented by the media that didn't match up to reality. Um, and no, not at any point did I hear uh, Secretary Clinton say you should vote for me because. Now I lived in a state where she ran no ads because there's kind of no point in it. There were a couple of packs that ran ads, uh, but it was kind of a given that Georgia would go Republican. So maybe I didn't see those ads. Maybe I didn't see that. But, you know, she had the opportunity in three debates, and not at any point did I hear her say, you should vote for me because she said, that guy's a clown, uh, which everybody said, yeah, but what does that mean to, to you? Why should we vote for you? Well, because that guy's a clown. Yeah, but why should we vote for you? Well, because that guy's a clown. Um, <laughs> and that was the whole race. Um, Seth, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, one thing I didn't realize is that... Um, one of the comments I heard about the election was that in the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders actually got more popular votes than Clinton. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so to I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew it was close all the way through, but I didn't realize that Bernie Sanders had actually gotten more votes. So while Clinton won the party's nomination, she didn't win the people of her party's nomination. And then much like you here if clinton's campaign had been ran if the speechwriters had written her campaign the way they wrote her concession speech she would be president now yeah and i wanted to say that before we move on to the uh, uh electoral college thing uh clinton's concession concession speech was classy um and honestly it was the only time and and i'm just going to be honest with you the only time in my life i had any level of respect for her um, not at any point in her entire political career that I've been aware of have I respected that woman's actions or words. Um, but that speech was classy, and it was the appropriate way to do it. It wasn't, let's go stoke the fires. It wasn't, I'm going to sue. It was, I lost, but let's look ahead. And yeah, you can you can uh, uh, credit her speechwriters or whatever, but that was a really class act, and I believe it's what the country needed. And Obama, likewise, uh, of course, it wasn't a concession speech, but it was his speech, his press conference when he was talking about it. He was a very classy man. Now, he's always been a great speech giver. He he was elected because of his ability to electrify a crowd. He is uh, um, charismatic, and he delivers uh, things well. He never really told people why they should vote for him either, but he was a really uh, a captivating speaker. And so that uh, with, with Joe Biden at his side— uh, he was uh, self-deprecating. He was funny, but he was classy. And he said, it's it's time to, uh, this transition is coming, whether we like it or not. Actually, he didn't even say that. He just said, this transition is coming, and I'm going to do everything possible to make this transition smooth because that's what the country needs. So I want to call out two people that I have not had high praise for over the last uh, you know dozen years and say that uh, they were both very classy and deserve praise uh, on how they handled the loss. And it was a loss. Yep. 
I tell you one person who I, uh, you know, if you can take positive out of this, um, one guy who really impressed me was uh, Governor Weld, you know, the VP mm -hmm. candidate for the Libertarians. That guy, I don't know why they did not put him as their presidential candidate because he he is classy. You know, he mm. has he has governorship experience. He had all of the right things, and it would have been a face that they could have put up there as the same guy alternative. You know? Right, but uh, they didn't. They put Gary Johnson there. So I feel the same way about Mike Pence. He's he's yeah. a much better yeah. face of the Republican Party than Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And about the Republican Party, if they would have put as much effort into opposing Obama as they did opposing Trump, both before and during his presidential run, you know, the Republican Party would look much different today. I mean, it, they proved during this campaign season that they didn't oppose the Democratic president, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. They proved that they rolled over and caved to him by how hard they fought against Trump. It might have been. I'm not saying that one policy would have been different. You know, the government was still effectively gridlocked, but they they didn't fight and campaign and make as much noise and attempt to stand for anything during the last eight years as they did in the last eight weeks. Yeah. And that's that's a sad commentary for a party. And you stumbled into a point that I wanted to raise, uh, the adversarial nature of Congress. Um, that's by design, people. The system was set up by our framers to not get much done. That, that's how it's supposed to work. So the party not in power is supposed to obstruct and cause difficulty for the party in power. That's why there are things like supermajorities, and, and that's why certain things require a supermajority, because the, the, the system is designed in such a way that one party has power, one party doesn't, and the purpose of the party in power is to try to shove things through, and the purpose of the party not in power is to try to stop it. In, in much the same way the American legal system is an ad adversarial system, um, a lawyer is not bound to find the truth. They're bound to tell the best story for their client, and the, the, other, uh, the opposing lawyer is bound to tell the best story for their client, and the theory is that truth comes out of adversaries doing their best. Um, the same, I believe, is true, and, and I'm not just making this up. I know you go, you read some of the Federalist Papers and some of the things written by the people who set this system up, and of course they borrowed heavily from uh, England's system. Uh, they took things they liked, they took things they knew. Uh, it's you know, for all you people saying it's time to come together and can't we all just get along? No, we can't all just get along. We're not supposed to. And um, Democrats, I expect you to uh, oppose and, and complain and obstruct everything that the Republicans do in the same way that the Republicans opposed and complained and obstructed about everything that the Democrats did. That's, that's just the way to go. But every time this happens, when there's a close election, the winning power says, can't we all just get along and, and now's the time to come together? And, and realistically, none of those people were ever interested in coming together for Obama. And they shouldn't expect the country to come together behind them. Yeah, there, but there is a difference between disagreeing with somebody's policy or somebody's point and making a personal attack. You know, it, it, this we, we we've dropped to a level of humanity we shouldn't drop to. You know, we should be able to say, "I don't agree with that. I'm not voting for that. I'm not supporting that." But you're still a cool guy, right? 
you're still an American like I'm an American. We're all here on the same team. We're all trying to do the right thing for our country. I just don't agree with the way in which you want to do things, but that's okay. And if that person said the same thing back, you know what? We'd actually get something done. We'd learn to compromise. We'd learn to find something everyone would be happy with. But right now, I don't think there's a climate that is willing to even have that conversation. They just want to go, that person's Hitler and I'm not. So, you know, vote for me. It's like, come on, please. Yeah. No, we're not and that I, stupid. I saw this one picture going around Facebook, you know, and it was like, the people elected Hillary Clinton, the system elected Donald Trump. And I was like, precisely the exact same system we've had for the last 200 plus years. It's not like they trotted out special rules for this election. It's the exact same election. And then I saw another post talking about how, you know, the person I voted for didn't win. That's not my democracy. And then the electoral college was put in place for slavery and helping the slave owners get more votes. And I, I just, I couldn't, I've been trying to ignore most of them, but I responded to that person and I said, wow, this is, this is a very heartwarming picture. Too bad. It's totally false. One, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a Republic. You should know the difference. And number two, the electoral college had nothing to do with slavery. It had to do with the big states not being able to run over the little states. And then I went back looking for it because I wanted to quote it directly, but that person at least had some class and deleted that photo off their wall. But I mean, it's just <laughs> like the the lack of education that is apparent in today's generation is appalling. Yeah, basic freshman civics apparently isn't taught anymore. It 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 is God, it is so sad. I mean I just, I can't understand these people. I mean, well, I can't understand them, but it, they scare me more than the, the thought of, you know, like I'm, I'm a social and political conservative and they scare me more about the future of this country than the fact that Clinton won the popular vote. So it just, it is terrifying the lack of ignorance that people proudly throw out and trot out as their badge of honor. You know, hey, this is wrong because I saw this really cool picture on Facebook with somebody who looks like a Hispanic person crying. Therefore, the system is rigged and we should still elect Hillary even though she lost. Yeah, and Seth and I, we've had this discussion on the show before about the Electoral College. We we disagree on it. He thinks it's a broken system that should be uh, uh, abolished. I think it does exactly what it was intended to do and should stay. But either way, the system is the system. And you can't change the system just because you lost. And you lost, all right? In, in just the same way that uh, uh, George Bush won the, elect the electoral vote while Al Gore won the popular vote, um, it, that's, you know, it's happened five times now. It was four times before this one. It's happened five times, um, uh, throughout the course of uh, history. And each time it has been a really close race and it has been, um, you can go back and look at those, those, uh, those elections and you can see that the, by land mass, not by population, the most popular candidate won. So it, it, that's the Electoral College doing its job. It's the city mouse versus the country mouse. Um, and just because you have a bunch of people living in your state doesn't mean you have the right to tell people where there aren't a lot of people living who their leaders are. And that's, that's again, how the Electoral College was set up. And, and one of the things that uh, a small tiff I got into uh, recently 
uh, on Facebook was, uh, the quote was, uh, the Electoral College kills democracy. And my response to that is, yes, it's supposed to. That's the whole point. It does kill democracy in support of republic and to the republic for which it stands. You've said that thousands of times in your life. It's not, and to the democracy for which it stands. The United States is a democratically elected system of representatives. It's a republic, just as Rome was a republic and Greece was a democracy. The uh, the framers of, of this country looked to looked to, to both of those ancient systems and decide they they didn't like Greece. They wanted Rome, and they set up a republic where we democratically elect representatives who then represent. The electoral college is just that they are democratically elected um, representatives, and they're they're they're. I'm not exactly sure how the the process by which I didn't do the research. It varies from state to state, but basically the party that that the the party system uh, chooses people to be electors. But in most states, 28 I think of 50, um, they are bound to the electorate, meaning they that they have to vote the way that the electoral system works. In the other states they don't have to in the other 22 they can vote whatever they want but they are expected to represent the way the vote went um and i'm actually i'm not i'm not uh mad at the people who say to the electors you should go vote for hillary clinton instead of donald trump if they do that that's within their right to do that even the places that bind their electors the penalty is relatively small it's not a uh, a uh, you know felony or anything like that it's it's considered a misdemeanor um that's the last hope that Hillary Clinton has. And if, if that happens, if when the electors meet, I think it's December 28th, if they meet and elect Hillary Clinton, I won't be mad about it. Because, again, that's using the system. I, it's, it's probably a misuse of the system, but it is a use of the system. And, and you know, one way or the other, uh, it's, in fact, that will probably get the, the Electoral College abolished. And that will get what people want if the Electoral College doesn't follow the prescribed voting. Yeah, and people say they want a democracy, but that is only because they have not thought out fully what a democracy is. Because a democracy is 50% plus one has ultimate authority. On every issue, not just the president's, everything that happens, all all the laws that we have right now in a true democracy, every one of those would have gone to about. Every, uh, Every judge, every sheriff, Every dog catcher, uh, every uh, five cent uh, uh, tariff on everything. So your ballots would be two hundred pages long, and you would be required to vote on every one of them. That's what a democracy is. Yeah, and you think you think it will would it, like you know if you're for the side that lost, you think oh my gosh things are going to be bad. Well, if it were a democracy and you lost. Then what are the penalties? Whatever the 50% plus one does becomes final law because it's a pure democracy. And you don't want a democracy. You do not want a democracy. You're just mad and sad. And, uh, you know, you, because you didn't get your way. I saw a great fake news story. It was, um, it was talking about how police officers were able to quickly disband the protest by giving out participation trophies yes. to everybody who showed up to protest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so funny. And this is what happens. And now I'm going to, well, before I go in, I'm going to launch into a tirade against the millennials. This show audience skews heavily Gen X 
uh, and even some boomers out there. Uh, there's not a, a lot of millennials. Um, so I'm going to be talking to people who aren't actually here. But before I do that, Miles, do you have anything to say about these last two subjects? No, I, I think you summed it up. I, I think that if you're a smart person, you say, okay, I'm one of 320 million people. I voted. I, maybe I didn't get what I wanted. Maybe I did get what I wanted. Whatever it is, now how am I going to deal with the new you know, world for the next four years? How is that going to affect me? How do I adjust my behavior to it or, how, or not? Uh, how do I take advantage of opportunities that will come forward from this? And how do I mitigate risks that might be with that as well? And that's, I think, where we need to get to as a, as a country. And we need to get there really fast. Because licking our wounds or whining about the fact that I didn't get my way or whatever, and, and I think that's about what you're going to talk to, uh, isn't going to get us very far at all here. But I will uh, yield to you talking millennial because I think I know where you're going with that. All right. Now, I'm addressing to this to you freaking whining babies. <laughs> this is what happens when you give everybody a trophy. We have an entire generation of people who've been told their whole life that they're special and they believe it. And this is the first time that generation of people has faced a, a challenge of any significant nature. And so the person they, did, they liked, liked, not believed in, not thought would be a better leader, but liked personally, lost. And now they're shutting down streets. They're burning cities right now. As we speak, there are cities burning because of a bunch of whining babies lost. You lost. It's not rigged. You lost. Get over it. You don't get a trophy for losing in politics. What the hell are you doing, millennial people? You're an embarrassment to all of us. Knock it off. What exactly is it? I want to know. And, and again, I don't expect this audience to be able to tell me. What are you protesting? What are you protesting? The system worked as designed, and you don't like it. The purpose of a protest is to bring about change, or at least uh, a voice, a concern about the way things are. Right? You want to know how to protest? You protest like Dr. Martin Luther King did. Dr. Martin Luther King dressed in a suit and walked silently, arm in arm with his brothers, and had one simple message. I am a man. Not, I don't like the system. Not, things are broken. I want you to recognize me as a human being. That was Dr. King's way to protest. What do you think he would feel if he turned on the news today and saw you millennial brats rioting because your feelings got hurt? And colleges with freaking safe rooms and, and, and counseling. Counselors on hand because the Me Too get a trophy generation doesn't know how to lose. You lost fair and square. You don't like it. Change the system. There's a process for that. By the time there's a, a, a next presidential election, the Electoral College could be gone. Rioting won't make that happen. There is a process, but you're too uneducated to even know what that process is. What are you, what are you protesting? I want to know. Has, has do we all? Has do they? Um, I think they would really like to know why they're protesting. They're probably just protesting so they don't have to go to class because they haven't done their homework yet. That's what they're protesting is they haven't done their homework yet. And this is a good excuse not to do it some more. Yeah, I mean, okay, universities around the world have always spawned protesting 
populations, right? And there's a lot of people who ideally, well, from an ideological perspective, don't agree with what's going on. They might be protesting against the Vietnam War. They might be protesting against you know, the four Bernie Sanders or whatever they're doing. Um, and okay, that's happened and it's been around for a long time. Uh, but there has to be some level of reality. And I think the thing that we're probably feeling is that the generation that are predominantly the bulk of that population are not out there on the street taking responsibility for themselves and their situation and working out what they need to do to change it. They're blaming it on somebody else and pointing the finger at that person and demanding that that person change the situation to their benefit. And I think that's where the disconnect is. At least for me, it is. And in, in 15 to 20 years, right. I'm sorry, Miles, in 15 to 20 years, yeah. these people are going to be in charge. That's, the, that's what scares me. Um, you, you saw the boomers, right? The boomers protested um, Vietnam and Korea, and they were the flower children, and they tuned in and, uh, and dropped out, right? That was their, that was their thing. I'm just going to drop out of the system. Well, the boomers then became the yuppies, right? So the hippies became the yuppies. Uh, they they realized this isn't how life works, and and they changed their their tone. Now there's still a few hippies around, but by and large, the 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 boomer generation went from being the hippies to being the uppies, uh, and now they're sitting back, uh, uh, you know, counting their retirement because they either worked really hard or they really cast in the the only generation to ever do so on social security, um, and and they're reaping the rewards. Of what they did, so now the Gen Xers, our guys, uh, our generation, it's our turn to take over, and we we grew up, um, you know, in an, an entirely different set of circumstances. And yeah, some of our guys became hippies, and some of them became yuppies, but mostly we we worked, and that's why this bothers me is because uh, I come from a, a generation who says if you see something you don't like, go change it, don't whine about it, go change it, and now this next generation has come along, and all they know how to do is whine. And I know I know it's early. Most of them are young. They they haven't had a chance to prove themselves yet. But that worries me. It worries me that in 15 years, uh, these same people who are whining now at college campuses are going to be the the the, the, gov- the the governors and the congressmen and the CEOs of companies. And they've shown not only uh, not only an ignorance. Ignorance is is okay. Ignorance is actually a good thing. Ignorance means I don't know. Teach me. Uh, somebody who's ignorant is teachable and is and is a vessel to be filled, a fire to be kindled. This is not I- uh, ignorance. This is idiocy. Idiocy is ignorance that refuses to change. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing idiocy on display, and it bothers me to a great deal. Yeah, this generation is, if you don't like something, you know, comment on social media. That is the change you have brought to the world. There's a There's a big disconnect. And it's apparent, you know, there's a big disconnect between social media and real life. And some people haven't grasped that yet. So, I don't know. Well, I, I'll give you a perspective that's kind of, you, you asked before about somebody being a foreign national that comes in and becomes a U.S. citizen like I did. Um, there's one experience that you have when you come from another country, particularly if you've been in business in another country which is my case and you realize just how difficult it can be uh, because everything's stacked against you over there you don't have 
uh, customer base with a lot of money to spend. You don't have necessarily a government that is promotion uh, is positive towards business and sees you anything more than you know some greedy landlord or some rich you know criminal or whatever. Um, and when I got the opportunity when I was about twenty five and I came to the United States, I couldn't believe what I walked into because I'd you know been dealing with that previous mentality and the difficulty of trying to do business and, and make something of myself it, when everything was stacked against you to do it. But you get really, really good at looking at opportunity because you don't have it outside of the US. I remember I landed in Los Angeles off a plane. I got off and I looked around me and I'm like, oh, my God, what what an opportunity. I can be a millionaire. And you know what? If you look at the majority of new millionaires, they're immigrants. That's because they all came from Taiwan or China or or South Africa or Australia or Argentina or wherever, and they found themselves dropped into this world of, wow, look at the opportunities, look what we can do here. The world's largest customer base is right at my doorstep. If I can't do something with myself in this, I'm a total failure. And And that's the mentality we're losing in the United States. We don't have these kids coming out of college with that level of hunger and that level of, of willingness to do whatever it takes to pay that student loan off, get out of debt, and go out there and make millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, there's the odd Mark Cuban out there. There's the odd person like that, sure. But they're not on every street corner. They're not out there working and trying to become that person. And if we've got a generation that have been raised on the don't really do anything, don't work too hard, be lazy, have high expectations and somebody will give you everything you need, the problem is when the internet came about and we became uh, just another connected node on a network, you've got countries like China, you've got countries like Russia, France, wherever, who have those people who have been trained so hard and are so hungry to do business and, and work. And now, you know what? They're directly connected into the world's largest customer base. And they're going to win. And we're not because you don't have to be in here anymore to make a billion dollars. And so, ah, I don't know. I'm worried because we haven't instilled. It's not education. It's not STEM. It's not engineering and all of that stuff. It's hunger. We need hungry kids that don't get given everything from their parents so that they have to go out there and work out how to actually live a life. Um, that's the missing link. Okay, rent you know, off. Okay, I have a great idea to get rid of that missing link. What we'll do is we'll come up with a test that is administered every year in mm. school that will measure how hungry they are and then – that way we can know what we have to do because we'll have we'll have the test to prove it. What do you think, Mark? Does that sound like a good idea? Maybe well, one more test. Standardized testing has worked so well so far. So sure. <laughs> uh, Miles, I, I would say um, I'm going to add one thing. Hunger is part of it. Uh, I think there are a lot of hungry people, but um, the, what Americans are missing as a whole is a willingness to suffer. Mm-hmm. Period. In any way. Right. And, and when you look back on uh, the greatest generation and when you look back on the boomers, 
take take the World War II generation and the the uh, um, uh, Depression generation. Suffering was what they knew. And it wasn't that they were willing to suffer. They didn't have any choice. And they, they got through it. And, and, you know, you look at the, the, the between the two World Wars Brits, you know, the whole stiff upper lip thing. Their entire culture changed uh, because they had a generation of people who were willing to suffer. And that hunger is part of it. I think there are a lot of people who want a lot of things, but they don't want it enough to suffer for it. And and it goes so far now that that and not just to, to take risks, you know, but people, I can't find a job, and what that means is I can't find a job within a twenty minute commute that pays me one hundred and fifty thousand a year uh, plus benefits and uh, three weeks uh, a year vacation, uh, because I'm not willing to suffer, and 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 not just that, but just in little things. This whole Internet of Things that we have, it's all about giving you more satisfaction, more instantly. Um, you don't have to be hungry because there's a Snickers, and you, you're not yourself when you're hungry. So go get a Snickers. Look at our look at our advertising. It's all about we've got the solution so that you don't have to suffer. Flonase, you don't ever have to sneeze again. Um, you, you got a little bit of a headache, we got a pill for that. Uh, you're a little too cold, uh, we've got a thermostat for that. Um, you're a little bit hungry, we've got a snack for that. We have an entire country who's unwilling to suffer even in the smallest of things. And suffering, the Latin, the original Latin word that we use uh, for suffering is passio, passion. Passion is that thing that you love so much that you're willing to suffer. The, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that was about Christ's suffering for what he loved. We have no passion because we are unwilling to suffer. And I'm using we here. I'm not pointing my fingers at millennials there. Uh, I'm using we in this one because I, too, have seen opportunities go by because I was unwilling to to take the risk at at grabbing them because I might suffer. Or worse yet, my children might suffer. The Once you become a parent, or at least I'm, I can only speak for myself, once I became a parent, I was always like, you know, I grew up dirt poor, really, really poor. Um, like not knowing if I would get a next meal kind of poor from time to time. Um, and I came out of that, and and I I wanted to give myself, uh, give my children the life I never had, and I have. Um, you know, by the way, if you live in America, you are already a one percenter just by being born here. So let's not talk about the one percent. You are the freaking one percent. If you're listening to this, do you realize the chain of events that had to take place for you to be able to listen to this? You had enough disposable income to buy some sort of computing device, probably a portable one. You are the 1%. Stop whining about that. But the, the but you're not going to be forever unless you're willing to take a risk and suffer and hurt and be in pain. And so I have, you know, I, I'm I'm part of the problem there. I'm raising the, what are they, the Gen Zs, I think is what they're called. My, my kids are in that range. Um, and I'm worried about what I'm making them because they don't know how to suffer either. They don't know how to go without Wi-Fi for half an hour. I, I'm not, that's not a hyperbole. If if the Wi-Fi blinks out at my house, I have three little girls who come running from all corners of the house to me to say, Daddy, fix it, because they're unwilling to be without some mind-numbing input into their brain for moments at a time. We were looking at taking a, a, a weekend vacation over the Christmas break up to the mountains in Blue Ridge, um, and we were going to rent a cabin on a lake uh, and you know just be out there and, and have a bonfire every night. 
And when my 12-year-old found out that there wouldn't be Wi-Fi at the cabin, she said, oh, I'm not going. I'll spend the night with, with my friend that, that weekend. I'm just not going. Uh, well, A, you don't really have a choice in the matter. But B, you've become a, an illustration to a story now because you're, willing to, you're not willing to, to do without something to get something greater. To, you don't even know what you're missing out on because you're, you're not willing to let go of what you have. And so what you call hunger, Miles, is one part of the equation. The other part is willing to being willing to feed yourself. And if yeah. you're hungry enough, you got to go hunt. And you can't hunt until you leave the camp. And you're going to get blisters on your feet, and you're going to get hot in the sun, and you may cut yourself on your own arrows. But that's the only way to feed the hunger. I think the... the I'm not sure if I'm paraphrasing this correct or not, but the, the phrase... We are our, at our best when times are at the worst, mm -hmm. and we're not at our best, and that's the problem. We can be, but what is the catalyst that makes us operate at our best? Do we have to be in a war? Do we have to be in extreme poverty? Uh, do we have to be in jail? Do we have to be – I mean, what is the point? What is the catalyst that brings the best out of all of this? Because it's there. It's just not being brought out, and it's certainly not being brought out when you've got your head stuck in an iPhone 7 all day. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be something where we get back to who we are, what we are, what we do, what we believe in, and what we can really prove to each other that defines us. And it's certainly not going to happen by pointing your finger at somebody else and marching down the street with a sign. Amen. <laughs> Seth, I saw you were going to say something before Miles spoke. You remember what it was? No, okay. I don't. I, I mean, I I agree. Yes. So, I mean, I know we're all preaching to the choir, but this is, it is, you know, and, but part of the thing, I, I've, I've been really trying to think back to my reaction four years and eight years ago. And the one difference between my reaction and the reaction I see is I was smart enough to keep my reaction to myself because I remember saying Donald Trump was not my president. So, but you know, I didn't blast it all over media and try to hold up traffic, you know, cause let's face it. I could stop a car if I got out in front of one. <laughs> so, um, you know, I might not be able to stop the second one, but I could make the first one stop. And, um, you know, I just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a bleep about it. I just like, he's not my president. I didn't vote for him. I think this country is going to, you know, be blah, 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 blah. And I actually, one of my Facebook posts is I was like, you know, dear. And I was that, Hey, all you people who feel this way now, four years ago, you felt the exact opposite. You know, if you're a Trump supporter, this is how the Obama supporters felt. If you're a Clinton supporter, this is how the Romney supporters felt. And I actually lost a Facebook friend for posting that <laughs> because they were like, uh-uh, this is totally different because blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, well, and then I saw that person wasn't my friend anymore. So fun times, fun times are had by all. And clearly that person wasn't a friend before either. Well, uh, Facebook friend. That's why I said right. I lost a Facebook friend over yeah. it. Former coworker. That that's that's why we were Facebook friends. Yeah. I there's so much more I could say about this, but it, it would just be, you know, foaming at the mouth. Um and, and at that point I've I've devolved into what I complain about the millennials. What what are you arguing about? Uh, what changes are going to be? And to 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 your point, Miles, uh, you know, do we have to be at our worst? You know, the only way to get pure gold is to to put it in a crucible. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that may be that it's going to take a crucible. I, I hope not. I hope that we can inspire uh, the best, but history proves otherwise. And and I, as much as I like to, uh, I I like to study history in hopes that it doesn't repeat itself. Um, but I'm just not seeing it. And and I'm, at this point, I'm not pointing at other people. I'm pointing at me. What does it take for me to be my best, to live up to my potential? You know, I'm a corporate drone uh, at an office uh, in a job I don't particularly like, but because it pays well and it and it feeds my family. I'm not at my best. Um, no, no, you are, because what you're doing is you're feeding your family. You see, if that's the mission, you're succeeding, right? If your mission is to go and be Elon Musk and invent all this stuff and go to Mars or whatever, well, then you're not. But if that's not your mission, then you're doing just fine. And if we all define what our mission is, then it's easy to, to say, okay, that person's policies on the TV, you know, that party or whatever meets my mission's goals. That's it. We just have to define our mission and stick to it and work out how to get there and get there. But you are. Your kids aren't starving, right? They're getting a good education. They've got a great loving family. That's You've succeeded. You can't, you can't sit there and say, well, no, I haven't. No, you have. Plenty of people out there haven't. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and, and that, what, I really like that. What is your mission? Define your mission and go for it. Um, I had a moment, um, I was 20, somewhere, you know, college, somewhere around there. Um, and I, uh, at that time, thought that I was going to be a, a vocational minister. I was, I was uh, going to, to be a man of the cloth, so to speak. And, and I realized the reason that I thought it was because that's what other people were telling me. Um, and it's not really what I wanted. And, and I had that moment, um, you know, 25 years ago. When I said, all I really want to be is a good family man and a good businessman. And so that has been my mission. I, I never put it in those terms before, but that's every decision I've made from that point on has been to build those two things, uh, a productive member of the business community and uh, a, a provider for my family. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not a millionaire, probably never going to be a millionaire. Uh, but I actually, you know, I've, I decided again a long time ago that 99 plus percent of the population lives and dies in anonymity. And I'm okay with that. If when I die, nobody remembers my name. I'm okay with that. As long as my family uh, remembers me and as long as my friends love me and, and as long as there are people crying at my funeral instead of celebrating, um, that's all I need. You know, I don't need to be, uh, uh, you know, have candlelight vigils. I don't need to lie in state uh, somewhere. And there are, there are people who that is their mission. They want to be uh, uh, a world player. That's not my mission. It never has been. Um, you know, when I started podcasting, uh, podcasting uh, five years ago, almost six now, uh, we, we sat down and we wrote a mission statement. And uh, number one is entertain. Number two is educate. And somewhere down like seven or eight is make a living. Uh, but, you know, hopefully I've been entertaining. I don't know that I've been super entertaining today ranting at millennials. Um, but anyway, all, all of that, you just got me into an introspection moment there. I really like that, the, the way you put that. Find your mission and make every decision uh, about does this advance my mission or not. That's a takeaway from this show. There's also another thing that if you don't know what your mission is, your mission is to find it. It's that simple. 
I mean, I'm yep. dealing with my daughter going through that right now because she's at college and she doesn't know what she wants to be because she couldn't go into a hard degree that was, I want to be a doctor, I'm going to study medicine, I want to be a lawyer, I'm going to study law. She's like, I don't know what I want to be. How can I know? I'm 18 years old. Yeah. You know, well, I was, I was lucky. I was exposed to a lot of the real world at a younger age so I could kind of work out, hey, I like those computer thingies and I want to work on that. Um, but she hasn't had that opportunity. She, you know, maybe- Maybe that's my fault because I've shielded her from suffering, <laughs> right? But at some point, her job now is to find out what her mission is. And I can't influence that, you know? She has to work it out on her own. Uh, so, just as long as she doesn't crash the car, get in there. So you, you mentioned something that I was going to bring up as well. What, as I was yelling at the different generations there, what role does the Gen Xers play in the the millennials being such dirtbags um you know we're their parents right or their older brothers or something like that we're uh we're the people that had the potential to make a difference in their lives and we didn't or or we made the wrong difference so when i'm when i'm yelling at at these college kids i'm really yelling at their parents and their grandparents um Nobody showed these. This is what I said earlier. This is what happens when everybody gets a trophy. Nobody showed these people that there are stakes in the world and that there are losers. People lose anytime there's a winner. Somebody has to lose. And this this weird mindset that came along some time ago. We're all winners. No, that doesn't exist. There's not a world in which we're all winners. It doesn't happen. Um, you know, Roddenberry made it seem possible, uh, but. You know, even then they were the Kardashians in the in the Romulans, right? Even then, um, there were enemies. Uh, there, there can't be all winners. You, you maybe can unite your planet, but or even a solar system. But there's always going to be an enemy, and and there's this whole group of people that doesn't seem to realize that. I mean, fundamentally, at their core, doesn't realize that they they got to be 23 years old without knowing that there are losers. Yeah, we've all been in this situation, right? You're at the mall. You go into a store or something, and there's a parent there with a young kid, and the kid might be like, I don't know, six, seven years old. And for some reason, the kid's having a bad day, and so they go into tantrum mode. And we've seen it. you know, We've seen the parents. If you look at the different generations of parents and how they handle that situation, it often will tell you the answer to your question. The older generation will, will just stop the situation right there, look straight at the kid in the eye, and tell the kid to cut it out. And you know what? The kid probably does. Yeah. Or backs off or stops, right? So let, let my my situation, my granddad, all right, so now we're talking the, the boomers, right? Or even he, he was old uh, even for his generation. Uh, he had my, my mom at an, a late age. My granddad's solution to that would have been to backhand me in my mouth and make me bleed right there in the store. That would have well, been his solution. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not no, advocating well, physical. Well, I'm just violence, saying there's yeah. a difference, right? And and so that taught me a certain lesson. Yeah, you watch what you say around granddad, right? right. Um, and so I, uh, my mom, that next generation, she moderated that, all right. But she was rough. You know, when you get home, you're gonna get you're gonna get a spanking. And so there were belts and 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 paddles involved. So it came to me. I moderated that. My kids rarely get spanked. They do, but it doesn't happen often. Mostly, it's a stern word. And and you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this, uh, and you're gonna be you know you're gonna lose this privilege. So you go one generation down. So as things moderate from the from the back end of the face to the it's okay, honey. 
uh, let me just give you, and, and when you see that kid in the in the store whose whose mommy gives him what he wants, that those are the people who are now rioting in the streets. Well, well because okay. the so reason ahead, yeah. that um, they got what they gave him what they want is because they did not want to suffer. No, yeah. I don't want to suffer of disciplining my child. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make everybody else suffer so I can have a moment of peace. And the thing is, that's not the first time in the store is not the first time that kid acted up that kid acted up because what was consistently modeled to them over the preceding days, weeks, months, and years is that my will is stronger than my parents and my parent will cave and I will get what I want. And the parent didn't want to fight that battle. All it takes is one time that you let the kid win and the kid's going to try, try twice as hard next time. And then, so you let it go on. And then when you try to make a stand against the kid, all of a sudden you lose, you know, um, I, you know, okay. I didn't have any kids. So my experience isn't like y'all's, but I noticed a difference when I took care of my nieces and nephews, than whenever their parents did, because I started all early on, I'm in control when you're with me and you know, so they, they knew around, around Uncle Seth, we have to act this way. We can't do what we do around our parents. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to pull off my belt and beat them, but I let them know that I'm in charge. And they right. accepted that because I was consistent that I was in charge. All right. Well, so, Miles, we totally the, hijacked your story. So, please no, that's all right. I'll just, I'll give you the, it's kind of like an A B scenario, right? So, the A scenario is we witness this situation in the store and, and this is what we see happening with the older generational parent. With the newer generational parent, this is what really gets my goat. The, the lady, the mother, and I'll, I'll use the mother because it's an easier one to illustrate. Um, in this situation with the tantruming kid, turns away from the kid talks to the shopkeeper and says, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. and walks out with the kid. You know what? I don't care that you're sorry. All you're talking about is you and the fact that you're embarrassed by it. That is irrelevant. Your job right there is to deal with the situation at hand, and that is your child. And to hell with what anybody else thinks, you deal with it as best you can. You don't apologize for it and empower the child to do it again. And that's part of the problem I see with the current generation of kids that are out there that are getting away with that sort of thing and now have turned that into political discourse and you know social discourse and everything else. Because there was no one there to ever tell them, hey, that's not okay. Don't do that. And now we can't even have a conversation with somebody we don't agree with their position on unless we turn it into a big tantrum fest. That, that, that's my take on it. Yeah, and I th what we're seeing is the, the I don't even want to use adult, the grown-up version of the temper tantrum in the store. Um, and until somebody either gives them a lollipop or drags them out of the store, it's going to continue. Yeah. So, uh, Facebook needs to come out with an I protested emoji and then the, and that'll <laughs> fix the problem. Everybody can, you know, just check that off, get a badge for their profile. I protested and then everybody will be good. One of the yeah, things, what would, what would Dr. Phil say? <laughs> I, I, I would like for Dr. Phil 
to go back in time and punch Dr. Spock in the face. <laughs> Battle of the doctors. Bring it on. <laughs> that would be a good pay-per-view right there. <laughs> Somebody in the future has took Dr. Phil and Dr. Spock and brought them in a, the greatest rumble in history. So I, I could see that. And what you're seeing now of the tweens, you know, the, the kids who are, uh, the, the Gen Z, they, they're fed up with the whining, right? They're, they're, again, it's, it's really too early to make any, uh, judgments about that because they're, they're not making waves in history yet, but just in, you know, in, in, um, you look at the, the media that they watch, you look at, uh, the things that are popular, the YouTube, uh, things that they consume, uh, they have a low tolerance for whining, um, and they they are much more you know uh, let's just get stuff done, uh, and and so that that makes me hopeful. But do we have to have a lost generation first? I hope not. And and you know one of the things I've always said is that a little responsibility can fix a lot of whining. Uh, but I'm not seeing that now. I'm, I'm, these uh, older uh, so you know I'm sort of the the youngest of the Gen Xers. And and there's the oldest of the the millennials, and there's always overlap in between. But these oldest of the millennials who have kids now that are you know two and three and four years old, and and they're are early on in their careers, um, I'm not seeing that responsibility change them like it did the yuppies. Right, the hippies became the yuppies once they had a kid to feed. Um, I'm not seeing that happen, and maybe that's because our country is so good at supplying their needs. That again, they're not having to suffer. They're not having to take that responsibility. I just wonder what it's going to take um, to wake that generation up. Great question. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that with getting back to the whole election thing, um, it's most important that we all vote for the right candidate in ourselves. You know, we have to vote for our own best interests and we have to recognize that we're responsible for our actions and that the buck stops here and it's not somebody else's responsibility and to put all your hopes and dreams in a third party, a political candidate, because the TV set, set tells you to do so is kind of a slight against yourself. You have to say, okay, whatever I might believe in, in terms of things that I, I that are external to me that I have very little involvement in or influence on changing, um, I cannot let that become more than the things that I can change, the things that I can do myself and how I adjust to external influences like that. And, and I think we've got to not lose that. We've got to recognize whatever it might be, whether you got the candidate you wanted or you didn't, it's irrelevant. What are you going to do to make you better today? And what are you going to do to adjust your actions to what you think may be coming from the external influences of different candidates? And that's something I'm really interested in talking about because that's, I think for geeks, we, we may be in a different generation of, of the next four or eight years uh, in terms of our support around uh, innovation and inventiveness and things like that, which may have nothing to do with Trump or Hillary or whatever. It's what we do with the, with the situation at hand. What opportunities are going to come from all of this? There's got to be enormous opportunities in any, any form of chaos, in any form of destabilization. Um, that's what I'm curious about. So do you have any predictions? Infrastructure. I mean, it's the obvious one, but 
with infrastructure investment, whether that be roads, transport, uh, security, um, anything like that, we need to be able to provide support to what we have traditionally not done for 10 or so years. And we haven't fixed roads, we haven't fixed airports, we haven't secured borders and so on. And and if we as geeks can do something to help the cause for that, it's fine. You know, whether you, I mean, look, you know, the whole the whole immigration thing is kind of weird. I, I see a couple of things that are kind of going to come from this. Um, one is I see a internalization, a refocusing back on local issues or U.S. domestic issues and a defocus on foreign. And then I see the negative effect of that, and that is that other countries will see America not necessarily as an allied trading partner anymore or maybe as a competitor or maybe as we can't quite rely on them as much as we used to or maybe we shouldn't have in the first place. Um, and that change of culture is going to move markets. You're going to see growth in other countries. You're going to see um, kind of a flattening where our, you know, the water in the bucket of the United States goes down a little bit and the water in the bucket of Africa or Europe or wherever goes up a little bit. Um, maybe the opportunities are to look to foreign investment opportunities, things like that. Um, that's okay. It might not be here, but you can still benefit from it. Well, uh, uh, you know, if everybody keeps their word, real estate brokers in Canada right now, it's a good, good business to be in. <laughs> yeah. Especially no, because they have actual <laughs> immigration laws. <laughs> yeah that um, is kind of unusual here I've, I've never been in a country where being an immigrant and you didn't have to show your papers that's really unusual yeah. Uh, yeah and this is the only country where getting a photo id is apparently racism so yeah. <laughs> yeah when i went to the polls i had to prove i was actually me and apparently that's the system being rigged um <laughs> So last week I predicted uh, lawsuits. Um, surprisingly, there haven't been any yet. Um, the, uh, there, there might still be, but there has been a lot of, of whining. Um, I, and from the three hosts of this show tonight, there has been whining. Uh, I make you, the listener, a promise that we're not going to do another big, heavy political show, at least not again anytime soon. Uh, we're going to go back to, to being tech or whatever. But we couldn't ignore this. We couldn't. We would be doing you a disservice if we ignored this. We have, you know, over the years, uh, Seth and I have been doing this for you now for over five years. And the promise we made to you way back then is that we will always be honest and transparent and we're going to be us and whatever us is doing. Right. And for a while there, us was was big into um, open source enthusiasm uh, and uh, not enthusiasm, but uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's, um, advocacy, advocacy. That's, that's, that'll work. Um, that's not the word I was looking for, but anyway, uh, but you know, we've morphed and the show has morphed and, you know, today we talk a lot, uh, a lot more about politics and, and less about technology. And, and, and I hope you're going with me on that. I mean, the, 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 the audience numbers haven't dr drastically declined. So you're either, um, you're along for the ride or you're just too lazy to, to take us out of your feed. Um, but you know, I don't want this show to be you know, uh, uh, an all politics. So I, I'm just going to make you a promise. We're not going to, we're not going to do this again. Uh, we did, you know, in, I think October or maybe no, it was earlier than that. Wasn't it? It was like back in April or May that we did a political show 
uh, and we're gonna we did one tonight and but you know i hope that this hasn't just been a bunch of old guys whining but this is i i, I think that we speak for our audience in a lot of ways uh certainly the three of us have different mindsets different ways of looking at things and and there are people in our audience that that uh um agree with different ones of us and i think at some point i've probably spoken something that you've spoken uh so that's why we did this and i'm not apologizing for it but i am saying it's not going to be the thing we do all the time um but there are some real problems today with our social structure you know a lot of times on the show we talk about the problems with technology uh we need to admit that there are social problems there are political problems there are um humanity problems and we need to find a way as miles said to find the opportunity in the chaos um if you can better yourself from that great if you can better the the world for it even better uh so that's that's my challenge to you the listeners don't just uh listen to me rant and either agree or disagree with me but what are you going to do about it what are you personally going to do about it and i can't answer that for me yet i'm still trying to figure that out when i figure it out i'll let you know but i'm going to do something because i can't sit by and watch what's happening happen. I, I'm not just going to watch the world burn and eat my popcorn. I'm going to do something. And I challenge you to do something. And if you, if you have a call to me, Mark, here's what you should do. I'll listen to it. What's my mission uh, as it relates to this? You know, what I'm trying to do is raise the best citizens I can raise in my three daughters. That pays off in the long run. There's got to be something I can do now. I don't know what it is, uh, but I feel motivated to to make a difference a positive difference in the world and i hope you do too um it may be fun to watch the fire but at some point the fire runs out of fuel and comes toward you and you know that's that's what we're looking at right now i think okay have ever, i have a, who, i have a I'm question sorry, that it, it may or may not be related to this but i think that never in at least recorded history has access to information been as easy as it is now would y'all agree with that statement yes Okay. Now is ignorance greater than it has been, or is it simply the information is there to prove that it exists now? Because when I look at it, my initial thought is never has ignorance been as rampant as it is now, but maybe the reason I think that is because I at least dig into the information some and realize how ignorant, or maybe I was ignorant yesterday and didn't realize how ignorant everybody else was. And I'm using yeah. ignorant in the, I don't know, not the, I'm incapable of learning sense. I look at it in the same way uh, that I look at, at like cancer and autism. There aren't more cases of cancer today than there ever have been. We're just better at identifying it. There aren't more artistics in the world than there ever have been. We're just better at identifying it. I think as we have more access to technology, we're better at identifying ignorance. Okay. Yeah, what's the, I, I live in a world of parables here. Um, there's another saying that goes something like, uh, when, the, when the answer to a complex problem is simple, it's usually wrong. Yes. And... And I think that's the problem. You know, the world is a, is a complex place and we have a lot of information and we're constantly being distracted by more and more information and we don't deep dive enough. If you're willing just to focus on one thing and say, this week I'm going to achieve this one thing and try and push everything else out so it stops, it becomes static, you know, that it just doesn't distract you and you just focus, um, we probably could make some sense of a lot but it's really really hard when everything's just a surface level experience because of the pure quantity of information 
So I think you're right to bring that up, Seth. I mean, that's a key part of our problem. We don't deep dive and solve these problems. Did you have something else you were going to say, Miles? Or was that it? That was it. Okay. Oh, uh, no, I'm I, sorry. I did. I, I'm okay. sorry. One thing, really quick. Have you ever read any of the works of a guy by the name of Doug Casey? Doesn't ring a bell. Okay. He's kind of a weird guy. I don't agree with everything he says. He's kind of a bit hard on a lot of things. A very harsh sort of libertarian type of character. But the one thing this guy did was back in the early 90s on the fall of the Soviet Union, the USSR, he uh, he his, his modus operandi is to deal in the world of chaos. So what he did was, he's an American, he managed to go to Russia when it was in, you know, when there were food stamps, people starving on the street, no work, the whole collapse of their empire, the whole thing. And he went there and he started buying up things like petroleum companies and gas companies and these sort of big businessy things that you could get at pennies on the dollar now. And then he came back and just sat on it. Five years goes by, seven years goes by, eight years go by. He's a billionaire. So in every form of chaos, whether whether chaos is just change, it's just change from one thing to another. If you're willing to look at it objectively and you're willing to insert yourself within it and not be scared of it, but to see it and, and keep your objectism, there are opportunities there to be like Doug Casey um, and to, to make some sense of all of this and to come out five years from now as a major winner. But it just comes down to the individual spirit to be able to see it that way. And that, that's why I bring him up. I think he's, he's an interesting guy. You can find his books on Amazon. You know, and it's further proof that uh, to make million, billions, you have to start with millions. Um, but, well, yeah. You know. <laughs> or an airline ticket to Moscow. <laughs> um all right uh let's just end it there uh, i'm sure we could keep going but gosh we're more than an hour and a half already so seth what happened this week in history other than this week uh <laughs> <laughs> okay this week in technology history november the 13th 1851 so we're going back in the time capsule here the first underwater telegraph cable was laid by British telegraphic engineer John Watkins Brett and his brother Jacob Brett. So way to go, Brett brothers. The world's first operational underwater telegraph cable opens for business, connecting the English city of Dover to the French city of Calais. The cable was ran at the narrowest point of the English Channel, and with this link, communication between London and Paris was made possible. That happened this week in history. Wow, 1851. 1851. Amazing. And that made the world a much smaller place. It really did. I mean, you know, we talked a lot about the transatlantic and the trans-Pacific cable and, you know, in our history of telecommunications and all of that, but those wouldn't have happened unless somebody proved it could be done in a small scale first. And that's post-Napoleon. So that maybe that's part of the reason why we haven't seen any fighting between britain and france <laughs> <laughs> maybe so they can talk now yeah somebody needs to lay an underground cable between the republicans and the democrats maybe that will help things. <laughs> well there's a lot of talking but not a lot of communication well that's uh, true yeah 
Okay. Um, I'm not even going to say anything else. I'm just, uh, this is the part of the show where I tell you how to contact us. Go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. Let us know what you think. I have a feeling maybe some of our listeners might have some feedback from this show. Could be. Um, so that's the place to do it. And um, I often filter uh, feedback that is just useless. I'm sorry. It just is. If, if you can't say something uh, useful... And if it's just uh, either, even, whether it's a positive or negative comment that doesn't advance the show, um, I read it. I sometimes reply to it. Uh, I sometimes don't, but I don't bring it to the show. Um, I'm going to keep that rule in place here, but I will pr- I'll probably lessen it a little bit. I want to know, even if there's a whole bunch of attaboys, I agree with you, or a whole bunch of, you're a bunch of idiots. Uh, I'm really interested to, to hear what you think about this, because this isn't just our thoughts on the events of this week. This is your thoughts on the events of this week and, and how this week is going to impact, you know, the, the future. There, there is no way, there's no lens by which any election doesn't change the future. It always does. This one is no, no different. Uh, it's going to change the future. The future has irrevocably been changed by the events of, of Tuesday of this week. So I want to know what you think about it, um, you know, and, and just don't call me a turd ball and leave it at that. Call me a turd ball and back it up and, and, and we'll go with that. So anyway, uh, click the contact us button. That's the best way to do it. Fill out the world's hardest captcha. But if you want to do an email, something a little more long form, you can do that. Uh, send it to geekrant at com, or you can call 559-IMOP and um, leave us a voicemail and we can hear your words uh, instead of just me reading your words. Uh, so there you go. Now, Seth, close us out with something fun, please. Okay. I don't know what this does, but this is a kind of a pointless website that I came about. It's called Particle Lab, and you can go there and you can have particle like, um, sorry, it's apparently a flash thing because it worked. I don't know. I had to click an allow button on Firefox. So you go there, play, skip the intro, and you can do these particle emitters. You can drag them on the screen, and then you can do these particle masses that attract the particles. And I honestly, I don't know what else it does, (laughs) but it's useless. This could totally destroy your productivity though so i'm i if i get you fired then i guess yay it'll get a better hire as i start to re-enter the job market (laughs) so it looks like it's just an experiment in you know modeled physics right you can have up to five emitters and five masses um at different points in the screen so um it it, it's it's just kind of cool to look at and play with so totally useless and it will definitely waste your time so you're welcome america (laughs) all right um yeah i don't know what to say about it but i don't know either cool but you know uh, i don't know i I haven't come up with a good one in a while i apologize i will see what (laughs) can be done about that um well i'm playing with it so you know it's it's reducing my productivity (laughs) <laughs> all right this is the part of the show where i say goodbye uh seth miles thanks for for coming in and and spewing your rants at us uh listeners uh i hope there still are some after this uh thank you for hanging out um i i, I regret that there wasn't anybody in the in the chat room tonight this would have been a, a good time to get some feedback from the peanut gallery um 
But uh, we'll see you next week where we'll talk about something geeky. I promise. But that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Mm-hmm.